Welcome to another episode of the Tom Schumer Podcast. Happy Monday, everyone. Well, it pains me to report that I am off the island of Oahu, but it was a fantastic week of both work with Kaleo Pupu Elementary School and a great week for my son and I. Now, as far as my son and I are concerned, most of the time we just spent time together, you know, at the beach after I get back to the hotel for my day of work, get back about 3 o'clock, sometimes 3.30, 4 o'clock. We'd head to the beach and then we'd head out for dinner each night. And we were pursuing all week two things. First, the best Mai Tai and two, the best coconut shrimp. I love both of those and I almost have to have them uh, every time I'm at a restaurant in Hawaii. Um, We realized that the perfect Mai Tai would be a combination of the flavor from a restaurant called Lulu's, the tiki glass from a restaurant called the Hula Grill, and the presentation, the overall presentation um, from Tiki's Bar and Grill. Those are all restaurants in Waikiki. I actually think to this date the best overall Mai Tai in a singular spot I've ever had is at a restaurant called the Monkey Pod Restaurant, which uh, I had it in Kapolei. Uh, but we weren't staying out there uh, this time. Kapolei is about 45, 45 minutes or so west of, of Waikiki. Um, I stayed there last January, and that's when I went to the Monkey Pod, and it was fantastic. Now, as for coconut shrimp, I can tell you that for me, they're a lot like chicken enchiladas, um, because no matter which ones I have, I always think they're fantastic. Though I have to say I do have some preferences. I do like the ones that are butterflied. I like the dipping sauce to be rather spicy, and I certainly like a strong coconut flavor, yes. I have taken a deep dive and thought long and hard about both of these <laughs> both of these items. Uh, today I'm in Huntsville, Alabama, working with Madison County Schools. Then it's off to Long Beach, California for the two-day Grading from the Inside Out workshop. That'll be Wednesday and Thursday, where I will be joined by special guest Natalie Bartabasso. Uh, now you heard Natalie on the podcast all summer on Assess That with Tom and Nat. Natalie is a new associate with our Solution Tree Assessment Center. She'll be there to support the participants in the workshop, of course, as well as become familiar with the training as she is going to start delivering this training uh, on my behalf down the road when I'm not available. Now, speaking of which, uh, there is still time to register for that Long Beach event. I suppose if you're in the Southern California region and you can book a PD for the, for, at the last minute or so, uh, this Wednesday, Thursday, Long Beach, uh, all that information on the Solution Tree website. But realistically, for most of you, we're looking at the virtual grading from the inside out two-day training. That'll be October 4th and October 11th. Uh, we'll do day one on the 4th, day two on the 11th. That's virtual. And then we've got a face-to-face uh, two-day in Minneapolis, Minnesota, December 1st. And second, of course, all the information is on the Solution Tree website. Links in the show notes for those as well. The other conference, of course, I keep mentioning throughout the summer and the fall, uh, as we get into the fall, is a Teach Better conference. Uh, That'll be in Akron, Ohio, October 14th and 15th. A ton of great speakers lined up for that. And use the code SHIMMER22 for registration. You'll get a discount on your registration. Uh, And so check that out if you can join us in Akron, Ohio. Okay, thanks for tuning in again this week. As I always say, a big welcome to any new listeners joining in for the first time. And a big thank you to longtime listeners. I appreciate all of you. And also thank you to those of you who listened to the entire podcast and emailed me about the free book. For those that may have missed it, and this finished off uh, with the presentation or the uploading of this episode, but this contest finished off. In the closing segment last week, after assessment corner, I announced a contest where the first 20 people who emailed me we're going to get a free copy of the book Jackpot that I talked about in Assessment Corner. Now, you had to listen to that final segment to even know about the contest. I know that some don't listen to all of the podcast, and that's fine. You do that at your own peril. <laughs> so no contest this week. Um, so don't worry about whether or not you have to listen to that last segment. But you never know when one might pop up. So may want to pay attention to that as we go forward. This week, my guest is my friend Livia Chan. Uh, Livia is a teacher in the Burnaby School District in the Metro Vancouver area. Uh, She's an author, a speaker, and the digital coordinator for the Teach Better team. So we're going to talk about that, but we're really going to dig into, most of our time, we're going to dig into the idea of building uh, relationships, strong relationships uh, with our students. And in Assessment Corner this week, I'm going to talk about the covering and assessing of standards and highlight for you what I think is the only hope teachers have in quote unquote covering their standards. Now, this is something I talked a lot about this past week with the teachers at Kaleopu'u, 
And uh, I want to share some of that conversation with you. I'll give you some insight as to what we talked about. So that's today's plan. Let's get to it. My conversation with Livia Chan is coming up, but first, don't at me. But I want to open this week by declaring that in my next lifetime, I want to come back as a critic. Now think about it. How awesome would that be? You don't have to come up with anything new. You can just exist in the status quo. And then when someone else comes up with a new idea, you just lower your glasses to the tip of your nose You glance over the top of them, kind of through your eyelids almost, and you point out all that is wrong or fall short. I mean, coming up with new ideas is hard. Being innovative takes a lot of energy and a lot of focus and a lot of determination. I don't want to do that. That's too much work. And besides, if you're a critic, you get to use all of the classic phrases found in the critic handbook, right? You get to say things like this classic, right? You know... In theory, that all sounds well and good, but in reality, that'll never work. Or this beauty. Yeah, I think we tried that back in 2002. It didn't work then, won't work now. Or this timeless one. Love this one. This is just another fad. The pendulum keeps swinging. This too shall pass. And then there's another one that's reserved for the older, more veteran uh, critics, right? Ah, to be young again. You're just so naive at this point in your career. You'll learn. You get to walk through life with that level of cynicism about everything, making sure everyone knows you're not going to be duped because you're way too smart for that. You know, stick with what we know or play it safe is going to be my mantra. Oh, another another one from the handbook. Why fix what isn't broken? Or that one's distant cousin. Uh, this seems like a solution in search of a problem. It would be so freeing. To just walk around life and tell everyone why everything is wrong or a bad idea or just sucks. Nothing will ever be good enough for me. Just sit back, watch it all unfold, and then when I smell optimism or enthusiasm, I'll be all over it, right? Nothing's going to be good enough. New budget comes out, ah, that's not, not enough allocated for those important things. New policy comes out, ah, you know, it didn't go far enough. Hire a new principal, ah, the principal's not experienced enough. You get to walk through life, have everyone else innovate around you, and you just sit there and poke holes in their ideas. You say, I know we have nothing, uh, I know we say nothing is perfect or no one is perfect, but by golly, it better be. Or I'm going to heat seek those imperfections like a kid playing asteroids at their favorite arcade in 1982. You remember asteroids? (laughs) How you just pound on the button to shoot as fast as you could as you crank the joystick to move your spaceship around to blast those asteroids. It was an awesome game, but I mean, you, your wrist was killing you, a carpal tunnel syndrome, and, and you needed you know, a sling after you played that in an afternoon. If you don't know what I'm talking about, kids, Google it if you have no idea what I'm saying. What an awesome way to live as a critic. I just think, what a great existence, right? You don't need clarity on how an idea would be implemented. You don't have to come up with that. You don't have to have an answer for every possible question anyone could ask you, right? There's no convincing others to take a risk. Play it safe, baby, right? That's what we do. You can go on social media and just keep replying to everything with some of the other classic phrases of the critics, right? Like, like, where's the research? Or have you ever worked in a real school or this beauty? When's the last time you worked in a classroom? Good morning, good afternoon, good night. Case closed, right? You don't have to change or evolve or grow because you know what? The way we've always done it worked for me and that's what matters. I know we say it's supposed to work for the students, but I say hogwash. It's all about me, bro. You get to sit at the back of the room, fold your arms, roll your eyes, and scoff at the naive optimism of those up front passionately talking about a new idea. Oh, look at you and your childlike enthusiasm or passion, you're so into it, aren't you? You don't have to worry about an implementation dip. You don't have to worry about initiative fatigue because guess what? We aren't implementing shit in our context, right? None of it's going to work anyway, so why would we bother? I'm actually getting more and more excited about the prospect of being a critic now. Like, I, I don't know if there's other lifetimes, but 
if there are, I just want to put it out there that I want to be born again as the most cynical critic the world has ever seen. I mean, after all, my dad used to always preach, be the best. I don't care if you spend your life as a ditch digger, he used to say, but if you're going to be a ditch digger, then be the best ditch digger there is. So I'm going all in. Just wait until I get a hold of your new idea. I'll slice it up faster than the slap chop dices onions. Don't bring your optimism around me because I'll rain on that parade immediately. Everyone, everyone will be so thankful they're working with me. People will love me. I mean, someone has to be the voice of reason, right? Someone has to remind the rest who the smartest person in the room actually is. And everyone knows when I come back as the critic, that will most certainly be me. Listeners, before we get into the interview with Livia Chan, I just wanted to come on and let you know that there are some technical glitches that you're going to hear at the beginning of the interview. Just want to apologize for that. Apologize to Livia. Apologize to you. Uh, it doesn't last forever. It lasts, you know, maybe the first five to seven minutes of the interview and definitely gets better as we go along. So a uh, little tough to listen to at times, but uh, should be able to get through it. Anyway, let's hear from Livia. Here today for the interview is my good friend, Livia Chan. Livia is from right here in the Metro Vancouver area. Livia is a head teacher, author, blogger, and speaker, deeply passionate about community, leading with heart and positivity, and daily lifelong learning. She truly believes in the power of connections and loves building relationships, which is what we're going to focus on today. She's been an educator for over 24 years. Livia is also a member of the Teach Better team. Of course, the podcast part of the Teach Better podcast network. She is the digital content coordinator for the Teach Better team as well. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. And Livia's motto is working together to better ourselves, each other, and the world around us. Livia, really excited to have you here on the podcast. Welcome. Thanks, Tom. I am over the moon to be here with you. I've been looking forward to this for a long time, and I'm just so thankful that you asked me to chat with you today. Yeah, love having you on. Uh, we've certainly for a, lot, a number of years have been connected online, uh, connected through the Twitter chats. Um, we've connected through the Teach Better team, uh, but it's been in about the last year where you and I, you know, met face to face and and had a couple of chances to socialize together in different settings. And uh, I can really honestly and truly say that uh, two things about you, Livia. One, we are friends, uh, most definitely. And you are one of the kindest people I have ever met in my life. And and certainly I think listeners, you're going to hear that as we go through the, the, the kindness, the authenticity that comes from you, Livia, is, uh, is really genuine. And I think people uh, certainly uh, appreciate that about you. Uh, it's, it's just a wonderful quality that you have. Um, so you before so we, you're, you're welcome for sure. And it's, it's, and I mean that. Um, so before we dig in uh, to the substance of our conversation today, I'd, I'd like you to fill in some of the details of your, your career. Uh, I, I highlighted a few things as, as we talked about that in the introduction, but walk us through different roles, the responsibilities you have. Talk a little bit about the arc of your career and how you've sort of ended up where you are today. Mm-hmm. Well, I actually never knew I wanted to be a teacher when I was young. So it wasn't until I was working at the health department that I started thinking, what else can I do my life? <laughs> and I think I always had one of those things in the back of my mind that maybe I want to be a teacher one day because a lot of my friends went into teaching. And before I graduated, I made sure I had the courses in order to apply to go into the teaching uh, education program. And so I approached my coach, or my coach, I sorry, my, my um, boss and said, can I start working part time? Because I just want to explore this avenue. It's just tugging at my heart. And so I stopped, I started going, going into the schools two days a week. And at the first moment that I walked in and started working with the kids, I just knew it was just, this is the path I was meant to take and pursued that uh, 24 years ago and started teaching grade two and three for a number of years. Um, had a couple of babies in the, in the meantime <laughs> and uh, took two different schools, but primarily taught grade two and three and absolutely loved it. Just so passionate about it. And, you know, over the years, um, I've had a lot of different opportunities. Uh, after that, I worked on our staff development team 
in learning technology. So that's where we got to work on district projects and just try to support teachers in helping them develop more skills and, and understanding on how to integrate technology with curriculum. And so that was a great experience for six years. Um, I actually worked with 27 different schools. That was kind of that I uh, had the honor to work with the principals and the, and the teachers and just moving them forward and lots of team teaching opportunities and whatnot. And then um, because of budget cuts, I had to come back to the classroom, but I was really looking forward to that too. And so in the last four years, I've taught from grade one to grade five. Um, this year, I'm landing back at grade two, three. So I'm super excited about that. Uh, and, you know, I, I loved my experience in, the, in teaching grade four or five for the last three years as well. Um, and because I haven't really been an intermediate teacher. Uh, but, you know, I love the age group as well. And you know, when, I, when I had the opportunity to, and I, I just said, you know, teaching intermediate is not really any different than teaching primary because it's all about relationships, right? It truly is all about relationships. And then in the last couple of years, I've been a head teacher at our school. So a dual role of being in the office, but also in the classroom. And I just, I can't imagine doing anything else right now. I, I just love it so, so much. Knowing you as I do, uh, it does not surprise me that what was it one or two days in the school and you thought this is this is it for me. This is going to be my career. Um, I've, had, I've met very few people for whom teaching is the exact perfect fit for their profession than you, Livia. Um, would it be safe to say would it be safe to say that uh, grade two and three are your favorite? I know you'll probably never say it because there's things you're going to appreciate about every grade. But is, is grade two, three your favorite? It, I feel like that's kind of my jam. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, to be fair to being an intermediate teacher, it, it does take time to develop the skills of being an intermediate teacher. I mean, teaching is teaching, but there's just, you know, really fully understanding the curriculum. And, um, but honestly, in the last few, last four years coming back into the classroom, I think because I really missed being around kids and developing the relationship with them, that every, for the last four years, it felt like the best year ever. You know, and I'm not saying that last year was better than the four years ago or the three years ago or two years ago, but every single year just feels like such a phenomenal year that I have the blessing to um, be around these phenomenal kids and work with the, the amazing families that I get to work with. And so I, you know, I know we had the pandemic in there as well. And sometimes I feel a little bit bad because not bad, that's probably the wrong word, but just because I know a lot of other teachers have struggled. And so when I say like, I have just had the best years ever, it just, you know, it, it sometimes is harder to say to, to some, some people, that's all. For sure, for sure. Just a point of clarification, listeners, for those of you outside of British Columbia, Livia's reference to primary or intermediate. In British Columbia, our K-3 program is often referred to as the primary program. Uh, we don't have universal configuration, so some elementary schools will be K-5, some will be K-7, through seven, the intermediate program being grades 4 through 7, just to give you a point of reference in case uh, those terms were unfamiliar to you. Now, as we've talked already, Liv, I, if there's anything I know about you, and you've mentioned this, um, you believe strongly in the importance of building relationships with your students. So I want to, but I want to get really granular, granular and specific and ask you what for you are, are some of the most effective strategies teachers can use to establish and sustain long-term positive relationships with their students. I think everybody understands relationships are important and they matter, but how do I do that? What are some of the specific things that you do to build those strong relationships with your students? Mm -hmm. And thanks for asking that question. Uh, but I feel like before I really get into answering your question, there are some things that I need to share to help people understand where I come from. And right. so like sometimes, you know, when, when people are asked that, I think they, they think of the activities, like what are the things that you actually do? But, uh, you know, and I think a lot of people, we know, we, we all know how to build relationships, right? But like, what's the difference? Like, what are the, what is the how and what is the why and all that? Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to just kind of start off with some background sure, and sure. just kind of, you know, where I come from. Um, and, you know, in the last couple of years or so, I really thought, took some time to deeply reflect on like, well, what is it that I do that I feel like I do differently? And um, it takes time to figure that out, you know, because, you know, as, as I'm going through my years of teaching, like I'm a teacher like everybody else, right? Like, wh wh why am I, why am I different? And we're all different anyway. 
Um, but I, I really believe that it truly begins with your thoughts, right? About my, like my thoughts and ideas about relationships and what, to me, I feel like what comes out of our mouths and my, my actions are all governed by what I think and what I believe about things, right? And so uh, two years ago or so, I started to really, especially with the pandemic, like I think overall, a lot of us started to really um, find gratitude in a lot of things because we couldn't do this and we couldn't do that, right? So you start to really appreciate some of the more simple things. And so one thing that I was able to do was to really start seeing these basic things as gifts. And relationships was one of them, right? Because we couldn't see each other face to face and whatnot. And so when I started thinking about, um, like, I guess, what are the, the things that really important to me in terms of relationships? There's really four things. One, um, it starts with like, you just really have to know what you believe in, right? Um, and so for me, it's like, what's the lens that I look through every morning when I, when I am interacting with other people and even with myself? And so I start with seeing relationships as gifts that people are, are gifts to me that I, who, who I treasure. And so just like, you know, when somebody gives me a gift, it's, it's something like, wow, you know, you've given me something. It's something I, that makes me feel happy. I, I treasure it. But when I started seeing relationships as gifts, then it's like, wow, I get to have a relationship with this person and that person. And so I started to see the time that we had as a gift, right? And so even though we weren't able to connect um, face-to-face, that connection actually seemed to mean more. So even though it's it virtual and whatnot. And so when I started to see people and relationships as gifts and as something precious, um, then it started helping me feel, uh, it started helping me um, feel more, more joy when I did connect with people and then um, started to appreciate them more and just started to value it more. And so like, you know, when I think about me as a teacher, like my goal is I want to be that kind of teacher that my own children would have loved to have, right? And and um, to build that community that my children would have loved to be in, that, that safe, secure, um, supportive environment. And so, you know, I, I know that we've heard many times that, um, that like every interaction that we have, you know, you make a count and, and all that, but I think sometimes people just don't really explain how it's done. And so my second thing is that, you know, first coming through our, our thoughts, like what do we really believe in? The second thing is um, you have to be really impeccable with your words. I've said it for many, many, many years. There's more than one way to say the same thing, right? And so I don't know if you've ever read uh, The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, um, but that's one of its things, be impeccable with your word. And so I think um, that's really important because everything that I say to somebody, it's either going to uplift them and make them feel happier and brighten their day, or it's going to do the opposite, right? And we can really tear down an, a, a relationship really quickly with our words. Um, the third thing is that I really believe in living my life like a role model, that in everything that I do, wherever I walk, any space that I enter, I want to make sure that um, my actions speak louder than my words, right? Words are important. And I see I see words as gifts too, that, you know, when somebody, just like how, how you started this podcast, you know, your kind words to me, I, I truly received them as a gift and they they rested on my heart as a gift. So thank you for that again. You're welcome. Um, and then the fourth thing is that you have to be consistent over time, right? Because relationships aren't built um you know, overnight, it takes time to build these relationships with people, um, especially our students. And so it, it takes self-discipline, right? Because there are times, especially working with children, that they could test their patience. And so that 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 lens, though, that first, okay, I put, let's see, I put on these lenses, okay, you are a gift to me, right? So to teach you this year. Um, and two, I have to be impeccable with my words because it's so important. And three, I want to live my life like a role model. So, you know, I better not be, you know, yelling or screaming or anything like that. Um, and, you know, treating every, every child with dignity and, and understanding where they're coming from, you know, lots of empathy. Um, and so, yeah, being consistent over time, that's where I think the the duration of, you know, from September to June, like my students know you know, how they're going to be treated by me is always with love and care and kindness and gratitude. And, and so that consistency over time makes a huge difference. Yeah. Um, 
And in, in terms, so I think of it like in terms of habits then, right? You have to build in those habits. Start, starting with your mindset so that you don't slip up sometimes because we know how, how detrimental to that relationship it can be. Um, so, you know, in the last couple of years, I, I, I had read uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Have you read that one? I have not, no. No, that's one of the biggest uh, bestsellers out there. But, you know, he talks about people like, you know, we all know that exercising is good for our body, drinking um, more water, getting more sleep. But do we all do that, right? So in the same vein, like we all know how important relationships are with our students, but do we always work on it, right? So, you know, I actually make it a goal of mine to do that through um through every single interaction. And so I think through reading uh, James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, then I started thinking about relationships and I thought, atomic interactions. Mm. So it's a phrase that I coined. And like the more I think about it, the more it makes sense to me that, you know, through every single atomic interaction, you know, it's an opportunity to connect deeper on a deeper level. It's an opportunity mm. to uplift each child and to make their day a bright, brighter one, right? No matter what they're they're facing and whatever they're coming to school with. And to me, it's all in the small. Uh, and so he's got thousands and thousands of pieces. And so I was thinking about Lego, right? How you have a set of Lego that you know what it's supposed to look like at the end. And then you work backwards because you've got a set of instructions that says, you know, you've got, you know, this piece, you got to add mm -hmm. this piece on top. And then mm -hmm. this goes after that. So I think of relationships in the same way in that it's, if I know at the end of the year, this is the kind of relationship I want to have with my students, what do I need to do for, through each piece to have that kind of relationship at the end of the year? And so yeah. very like foundation, every interaction is foundational. Um, you know, so I make sure that I speak with love, kindness and gratitude and, um, you know, I also think about like snakes and ladders, right? Like mm -hmm. it takes you so much, like it takes a long time to get to the top, but then one, one little, you know, slip up and then I'm back down. So really yeah. are very similar in that way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So uh, Let me ask you a question. Um, I asked this of Lindsay Titus a few weeks ago. And um, so you talk about, I think, you know, in theory, and for the most part, it's true practically that we can view our students as the opportunity to teach our students as a gift, and we see them that way. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been in a situation, if you have, maybe talk a little bit about this, and if you haven't, maybe hypothesize about a situation where you as a teacher finished the school year last year with a, you know, let's just call it a, a less than favorable relationship with a student. Let's say things went sideways, things didn't work out, and now you are teaching that student again this year. I, I think to be realistic for some teachers, we would have a tough time looking at that as a, a total gift. I'm sure we would have a visceral reaction like, uh oh, here we go again. And and not, you know, how to so so from your perspective, what what are your thoughts on that? Have you ever had that situation? And if not, just hypothesize like what is the what do you think the best way to approach? How do I reframe that? to start seeing that opportunity as a gift, even if the relationship was tense before? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's the thing about summers is that it gives you an opportunity for a fresh start, right? Okay. And if you know that this child is going to be in your class again, then you you do, you know, obviously you want to shut your brain off to, to give yourself a break and whatnot. But I think naturally you would just kind of gravitate towards, okay, how am I going to change things in order to make it better for me and for this child? And so it's, it's thinking through, well, what am I going to change? Because likely this child, you know, obviously this child doesn't know that they're, they're going to be in your class. So, but also the, the onus is not necessarily on the child to change. It's more so me as the adult and as the teacher. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've been at two different schools where we've had a behavior program. And so I've had kids designated with severe behavior in my classrooms um, over the number of years. And, each time, you know, I've seen them from struggle from previous teachers and whatnot, and they, they come to my class and it's a little bit different, right? Um, and honestly, I'll, I'll say to anybody, it's because of the relationship that we built, right? And it's because of the times when they are, are struggling. And then it's, you know, what, what do you do to help them come back to the classroom and, 
you know, that, that bit of um, restitution and like, you know, how, how do they come back and, you know, carry on. Right. And so a lot of times it's, it's hearing from them. It's, you know, having the, those hard conversations with them and say, Hey, you know, this is what happened, but you know, not that we can fix what's happened, but we can make better the next time. Right. And so it's focusing on the positives, the, you know, anytime mm-hmm. that they are doing something positive, it's, you know, and er- like, honestly, Tom, every single time it's, it's been better. And so, you know, when you hear from them and get their input, it makes a big difference. And then the times where, you know, normally given the situation, they, they would flip their lid and, you know, toss a chair or what have you. But then though that time you're like, Hey, it didn't happen this time. That's when you go, Hey buddy, you know, I noticed that normally like last month, this would have made you really upset and frustrated. But did you notice that this time you were able to handle the situation? Then they start recognizing like, Hey, yeah. Right. And so it's, it's, again, it's noticing those times, but they're, they, they don't flip their lid when they normally mm-hmm. work and recognizing all of that. And along the way, really just like, you know, why is it that these kids are the ones that are hardest to love? Right. Well, they need it a lot of love and they need a lot of patience and all the kindness and you know sometimes sometimes these kids aren't appreciated either but there's so much to them that you can appreciate and so much so many ways that they can shine and so helping them find ways that they can shine and contribute to the community and and be leaders they have leadership qualities too right when you look at if you ever google what leadership is there's so many qualities that this child also has so how do you bring that up and into the forefront where they feel like they are part of your community and that, yeah. that goes such a long way. Right. Yeah. I love that. So many, so many great nuggets there, uh, Libby. I first, I love the idea of look in the mirror. How am I going to be different? You know, how am I going to change the circumstances? And again, the younger the student is, the more responsibilities on the adult, but I would say the responsibilities on the adult, even if they're in high school, yeah. uh, obviously the student has to own their behavior as well and their actions. But, but I love that idea and, and, uh, and the acknowledgement and the nurturing of the, 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 the illustrating to the student, the growth that they've made this, Hey, before mm-hmm. this would have really caused you some challenges. Mm-hmm. I noticed, did you notice? And it starts to give them confidence that they can navigate through those ups and downs for yeah, sure. For but sure. I, I, yeah. yeah. So can we um, can we connect uh, relationships now? And again, this is something that I think gets, again, talked about a lot, but I'd like to sort of get specific on what your experience has been. Uh, strong relationships and academic performance. Obviously, you know, as we just were talking, if there is a less than favorable relationship between the student and the teacher, then that's going to probably have a negative impact on the student's academic performance because there, there is no academic silo. We're dealing with one student, one child, one teenager, one adolescent, et cetera. Now, so I think it's safe to assume that if you have a positive, strong relationship, that's going to have a positive impact on students. And since, of course, the primary purpose, purpose of school is learning, I'm wondering if you could talk specifically about the residual impact that strong relationships have on student academic performance, student academic success. What if what do you, what do you notice about your students when that relationship is strong? What are what is the residual in terms of their academic success and performance? Well, I truly believe it goes such a long way because you know when you think about the relationship that you build with the the child uh, or each each student. Um, they, the more you know them, the more that you can um, bring in their interests and their passions. And we know that, you know, even for something simple like writing, I mean, re- teaching writing is not simple. That's not what I mean. But if, if we're getting them to write about something and they, it's not anything that they're interested in, over time and time again, it's so hard to get them to write. But when you are able to recognize their strengths and and the areas that they need to grow in as well, right, and by really getting to know them and then offering them choice and voice and saying, okay, so this this is the the learning goal that I want you to reach. But there are many avenues to get there, right? And so when you can allow them to you know, write uh, about what they're interested in or passionate about, then they are more motivated to write and more engaged in what they have to do um, or more that, that you've asked them to do. Um, and so that goes a long way, right? Because if they're not even producing like good work, then mm-hmm. you're marking something that they, they, they didn't put their heart into. 
right? They're, they're doing it for the sake of doing it, right? Um, and so I even go as far as saying to the kids, um, like, if I forget to offer you choice and something comes into your mind that says, hey, can I do this instead? I always say, please just come to me and ask. And I've had kids do that. And, you know, I'm one person that's trying to come up with these, you know, fun, phenomenal activities for them to, to learn from. But I, it's hard for me to take into account all these 25 or 30 kids, different interests all the time. So I welcome that. And I've had kids come up to me to say, hey, can I do this instead? And, you know, sometimes there's a bit of a negotiation, right? Because if it doesn't quite fit, um, but every single time they've actually knocked my socks off. Um, and it's, it's incredible. And, you know, uh, when I think about assessment too, like we've had conversations about this, about how like the effectiveness of our assessment really, it, it, it can't be so effective unless we have that relationship with them, right? Um, and it's all in the, how do I share the, the feedback with the students? How receptive are they to listen to the feedback they, that they receive and actually do something with it, right? Um, and they have to be willing and, and open to, to taking that and growing further. And so this, it's like such a beautiful blend and it's almost like a dance of, you know, um, a little bit more from me, a little bit more from them. And then we work together in helping them move forward to, towards the, the goals that they've, they, that they've either set themselves or we've kind of co-created or, um, and again, it's like, it goes right back down to the basics of those atomic interactions. Mm -hmm. And, and it's like every day, you know, you think about from the, 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 the time that you see them, like that morning greeting, right? And it's not even like, when even when I think about the greeting, it's how you greet them, right? Do you light up when you see them? Um, how big are you? Like when I greet my kids, like I have big arms and I'm like, yeah. oh, happy to see you, right? Big, warm <laughs> smile, um, you know, this kind of smile that reaches your eyes, right? Um, I greet every single child at the door every single day. And, yeah. you know, smiles go such a long way, right? And then even at lunch, you know, when I'm leaving the room, I'll say goodbye to them. I'll say, I love you as I'm walking out or, you know, and end of the day. And like, I'm, I'm reminding them how much I love them, how much they, I appreciate them. Um, I write a morning message, right? And reminding them every morning, like it'll say to them, remember how much I love and appreciate you. And so, you know, when, when kids feel seen, valued, heard, loved, appreciated, they want Right, to right. you know work hard right and and yeah. and then obviously if you're including their um interests and their passions it it goes such a long way to making that relationship effective for sure yeah those yeah. those relationships when you're talking about assessment and feedback and all that you you just remind me of something i talk about a lot is the emotional side yes. of assessment and the impact it has yes. when we have a strong relationship i trust you a student yep. will trust their teacher mm -hmm. being vulnerable that you can push them. You can, you can, you know, the feedback will be more, they'll be more receptive to it. Yes. They'll understand you're not criticizing them, but you're critiquing the performance to help them improve. So I think those relationships are so important. You can push them. They'll take risks uh, yeah. because they trust you and they trust your perspective for sure. Mm -hmm. And um, they know that you are there, you're there to support them, that right. you have their best interests at heart. Yeah, and absolutely. Because you you care, they can feel how much you love them, and mm -hmm. they they can feel how much you care for them, and they can feel how much you want them to succeed. Right, right. right. I do know. Um, I'm sure some middle school and junior high and high school teachers might do that, but I think a lot of high school and junior high teachers and middle school teachers are probably envisioning the eye rolls and yeah. the uh, the shakings of the head if they were to. Uh, uh, send students off with an I love you, uh, but they do love their students. Uh, just They just express it in maybe a different way uh, yeah. than you might with a second grade student, that's for right. sure. But all right. kidding aside, uh, it's not so so much, you know, for, for students who are older, it's not so much about what you say, but it's the actions. It's those day-to-day -day actions. It's the Legos you talked about. It's the day-by-day. -day, it's the minute-by-minute. 
it's it's how we build those relationships over time and our actions will speak louder than our words as the mm-hmm. expression goes. Yeah. I want to shift our focus kind of as we start to finish up here uh, on the relationship because I know something you also think about is the relationship we have with ourselves and and specifically the idea of being kind to ourselves. I think educators I don't know if this is unique to education, but I know that educators are notoriously tough on themselves. Uh, the job is never done. Um, and we always think to ourselves, you know, I could have done it better. Uh, I think I could have taught that lesson better. I might, have, I could have been more supportive to that student. I think those educators who are great educators are constantly thinking and reflecting about what can be done. So I, I guess, I guess what I'm wanting to ask you is where's the balance? Like what are some of the ways or reminders or strategies that we can use that can help us, you know, even though we want to push ourselves, I think we also need to learn to be kind to ourselves Mm -hmm. as teachers, as principals, et cetera. So what are some of the ways that you have developed and and you think are effective in helping us sort of maintain that perspective and and being kind to Mm -hmm. ourselves? Oh, super important. And I think, you know, being teachers, many, many, many of us are reflectors, right? We reflect on a lot of things. And so it's a blessing, but it can be a curse, right? Especially if you're going to be really hard on yourself. Um, And I think it really just, it does start with, with understanding who you are, right? And, um, you know, being a coach, like I coach Ringette too, right? And so sometimes you could see, especially the high level athletes they are super hard on themselves so it's like coaching them and teaching them how to talk through you know if they've had a bad shift or whatnot and so kind of taking in the same kind of questions like and finding that self-compassion like you know what you're saying to yourself would you say that to a friend like if no then be a good friend to yourself like don't say that to yourself right and um i often think of it too in terms of um like how I'm feeling or, or the negative things I'm saying to myself, is this serving me? Right. If I'm trying to be the best person that I can be, like, is, does this help me? Right. And so I, I'm, I started to kind of ask myself that if it's not serving me, then, you know, spend a little bit bit of time kind of beating myself up a little bit, but like at some point, no, no, that's enough. I got to move on and just kind of almost like repair that relationship with myself. Like, you know, I did, I, I did the best that I could at the time that I, you know, at the, at the moment with the information that I had and, you know, you can't go back and change time. And that, I think that's where kind of going back to what I said originally is like, if you have the thought of, of, you know, this relationship is a gift to me. And, you know, if, if you really try to be impeccable with your words and, um, and, and all of that, then hopefully you don't get yourself into those moments where you really regret what you did. Right. right. But you know, like sometimes it happens, we are human after all. Yeah. Right. Um, and then just, just thinking like, you know, that life is hard and I don't always have a Jiminy cricket that's going to actually talk to me. Right. So right. yeah, just learning how to be a cheerleader for yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and to believe in yourself that, you know, if you made a mistake, mistakes will happen, but it's how do you pick yourself up? Right. And so, um, I, I actually have visual reminders, like in all the places that I work. And so, um, a couple summers ago, I started painting hearts on rocks and, and, um, uh, glass beads and whatnot. And so I have them downstairs in in this workspace upstairs, uh, in my office and my, my desk at in my classroom. And so those moments where, you know, if I'm struggling or having those moments where I I need to talk to myself in a more positive way, I I look down and I see these and it just reminds me that, you know, in everything that I do, I pour my heart and soul into it that, you know, I, I, I act from my heart. And so, you know, when I kind of go back to that and go, okay, did I put my heart into whatever it is? Yeah, I did. And so, you know, I can't be that hard on myself because I did the best that I could at that moment. Right. Right. And yeah. Something that, you know, Ray Hewitt had said on, in her book um, is, is doing today's best, right? Like today, you know, something may have happened. I, you know, might've brought something to school. Like, you know, one day I can remember um, our Guinea pig had passed away in the middle of the night. And so I went to school the next day and I was telling, telling my kids like, you know, I, I came to school because I knew how much they would help me feel better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
but you know, my today's best today is probably not going to be as good as my today's best yesterday or the day before, but I'm still going to give you my today's best. Right. And so I, I asked the same of them that sometimes, you know, they may have had an argument with their parents before they come to school. Um, and so sometimes, you know, whatever they hand in is not really the best that I know they can do, but they'll just say to me, Miss Chan, that was my today's best. And then I take it. Right. Okay. I understand you, you worked hard. Great. You know, so especially little, little people, it's so hard Mm -hmm. to put emotions aside, even adults. Right. Right. But, um, we have a little bit more control over that. And, you know, when you, when you can see yourself as, as somebody that's just doing the best that you can and you're living life, um, like, like somebody that just offers their heart, it's hard to, you know, you have to just, it takes self-discipline, but like you just really have to learn how to talk to yourself. And just For sure. I love that question. The idea of, uh, would I say that to a friend? I, I that's something I learned a, a number of years ago and I, it's, it's helped me a little bit. Not, I, I don't, think that I suffer too much, but we all as human beings was a little bit of negative self-talk. And I think yeah. the question, would you ever say that to a friend? Then why are you saying that to yourself? I guess mm-hmm. that's great advice for everyone. Now, uh, as we finish up here, Liv, uh, I want to give you a chance to talk about your role with the Teach Better team. Uh, this podcast, of course, is, as I mentioned earlier, is part, and everybody knows, is part of the Teach Better podcast network. And you are now the digital content coordinator. So what does that mean? And um, and maybe tie in more broadly, uh, just briefly, why why should educators become more intimately familiar with the offerings of the Teach Better team beyond this podcast? Of course, um, what are you know what are some of the what's what does it mean to be the digital content coordinator and and what is the value um, from your perspective of connecting with Teach Better? Well, thank you for offering this opportunity to talk about the Teach Better team. I was I started following the team uh, about two. Uh, over two, or it might be two and a half years ago. And as soon as I started meeting people on the team, like I fell in love with them. And so eventually became part of the team. But um, my role is to work with Carrie Pitstick in managing the uh, blogging. Um, We, at some point, we're pushing out a blog post every day. Um, we've kind of dropped that down to a, a, a little bit less, um, maybe three, four times a week this, now. Mm-hmm. But uh, lots of content there to learn from a lot of different people. We have a lot of guest bloggers who uh, share their perspective and share different ideas and uh, very inspiring, motivational type uh, blog posts on all sorts of different categories. Um, and then, you know, anything that needs to be edited, then that kind of comes across our plate. And then we kind of make sure that the grammar sounds right. There isn't any spelling errors and whatnot. Um, and then just connecting with different bloggers. And we, we also have uh, quarterly blogging exclusive events where we try to get the bloggers together to um, get to know each other a little bit better. But we also offer a little bit of training. And so there's a couple courses in the academy, and that's another thing that the Teach Better team has is a um, academy with a lot of self-paced courses on a lot of different things on assessment and um, leadership. And I actually, there was a course uh, that was launched about two weeks ago that um, I authored, and it's called Build Better Relationships. nurturing connections with intention. So it's covers some of the things that we talked about today, but it really is about how do you build better relationships with um, primarily colleagues, but, you know, we, we have relationships all over in, in a lot of communities that we belong to. So yeah, it's, yeah. Um, you know, a, you can use the same ideas in every relationship, even personal, right? Yeah, uh, and then we have an Amin mastermind group that would meet uh, every Tuesday morning, um, and it's, it's totally free. So it's just people who are leaders in their buildings or, um, districts that come together and support each other and, you know, come with questions if they have, um, and just learn together. Um, and then it just recently we started a live, uh, Wednesday morning show, um, and also a Sunday evening, Sunday warm up. Um, live show uh, just to kind of help, help prep people for the week. Um, and you said that we have the podcasters network, but there's, there's a lot of things happening in, in our group. And so 
Uh, I'd love for anybody to reach out if you have any questions about the Teach Better team. It's there. Everybody on the team is just such phenomenal people who just are passionate about um, teaching and learning and supporting each other and supporting educators all over the world. So yeah, yeah. and and of course we have the uh, Teach Better conference coming up in yeah. October. Uh, and listeners, of course, you've heard me mention that in the opening of the podcast over the course of the summer. Uh, and, and listeners, I have to say, if you have not spent any time on the Teach Better website, um, I would really encourage you. The offerings are incredible. Uh, there's just so much there for you to consume. Um, a lot of it's free um, and a lot of great opportunities to connect with people. So, uh, And Liv, you are a great, uh, a, a great addition to to that team for sure. And, and certainly yeah. uh, as an ambassador for the network and now the digital content coordinator, um, you know, making a difference in, in how that content is received by everyone. I've got two questions left for you, Olivia, as we finish up. These are two questions I ask everyone who comes on the podcast. Uh, and here's the first one, and you can take this in any direction you want to. Um, but the question simply is, educationally speaking, uh, what keeps you up at night? Well, when I think about when I'm trying to go to sleep, um, <laughs> quite often it's the kids that we're we're not necessarily meeting all of their needs, right? It's the the kids that struggle. We talked about some of the, the kids earlier, um, and when I think about it, it's I personally, you know, it's the kids in my class. But also now as a head teacher, there are other kids in the school that I can have. Um, relationships with right and so you know how do we make school better for them like you know for some kids how do we make school a place where they want to come because some of them don't right and how do we make it a place where they want to learn and and support them so I often think it's like you know when we say all means all like how do we really make that happen for these kids um and you know I think about how um how we really just need to be relentless, right? That, you know, talk about square pegs and or round pegs and square, I don't know, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> but like, you know, like yeah. if, if we're just doing the way we are doing things and then expecting them to fit into that and that their behavior, everything about them is telling you, I don't fit in this mold, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, uh, last summer we had ants in our house and I was like... I felt like a, an ant scientist because it was just watching them. And anyways, it didn't matter how, what ways I was trying to get rid of them out, out of my house. They were relentless. And so I kind of thought, we need to be like ants, right? I actually wrote a blog post about it. <laughs> <laughs> like being relent, relentless like, like ants and, you know, and working together. Like ants don't work alone, right? So we, yeah. we need to work together. We need to keep yeah. finding a way and celebrating the progress that they make. And so- you know, and then just always thinking and asking ourselves, what more can we be doing for these kids, yeah. right? And obviously, we talked about voice and choice, so including them makes a difference. But, yeah. you know, in terms of, we, we often talk about equity, diver diversity, and inclusion. Well, are we really doing it? Like, you know, so that's kind of what I, keeps me up at night sometimes yeah, is, is thinking about the, the, the kids that really need our support the most. One thing I know about Livia, you are uh, a night owl. And so I maybe should have rephrased the question as to what keeps you up to the early hours in the morning, because I know uh, from what you've shared, you are often uh, awake deep into the evening uh, when I am, uh, you know, on the other other side of town, I am long asleep. Uh, last question uh, as we finish up here, and it's a very simple question about success. Maybe it's not simple, but it's a simple and it's sort of phrasing. Uh, the question is about success. Take this again in direction of professionally, personally, or whichever direction you want to go. But if a random person stopped you on the street and asked you, what's your definition of success? How would you answer them? Hmm. Well, I, th I think about, you know, it depends on how expansive you want to go, but, um, and, and it's really what, what you measure, right? Up to you. Uh, but when I think about it, it's, I think about when. So I think about the, the seconds and the days and the years and the, the lifetime. So when I'm thinking about success in, in those terms, um, then I think, you know, uh, and, and then where, like the communities that I'm part of, like my family and all, all these spaces, the school and ringette community. Um, and to me, really success is whether I can make a positive impact in other people's lives and um, to make an imprint in their hearts. And that, you know, if I can enter any space and make it better, 
in my own live way, mm -hmm. then I believe that that is success. Yeah. So through every atomic interaction, right? It starts with every <laughs> single atomic interaction. If that, you know, if I can hold myself to that, um, then I think I, yeah. I feel like I will live in a, a successful um, moment, a yeah. successful day, successful yeah. year and successful life. If we string together those moments, they become hours, they become days, they become months, they become years. Uh, I love that. Uh, make every space that I enter uh, a better place. Uh, listeners, you can and should follow and connect with Livia online. Uh, her handle on Twitter and Instagram is both at Livia Chan L. Uh, Facebook and LinkedIn, you can find Livia there as well. Uh, and her website, www.livechan.com. Uh, of course, I'll have links in the show notes for all of those uh, different connections. Uh, Liv, this, was been, uh, this has been a great uh, conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time to be here. Um, thanks for doing this. Great to oh, see you. I so appreciate you for your time, your friendship, your support. It, you mean a lot to me. So thanks, Tom. Well, thank I you. appreciate thank you for this opportunity. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. In Assessment Corner this week, I want to talk about covering and assessing your standards, but not in the micro sense of unpacking standards and all of that. I want to talk more in the macro, as in how do I cover and therefore assess all of my standards when there are just so many of them? Now, as I said in the opening, this is something I talked a lot about last week with the teachers at Kaleo Pu'u Elementary School uh, on Oahu. So I'm going to share a little bit of the nature of the conversations we had in our planning meetings and looking at learning progressions. Now, the one thing I need to say up front is that I think there are many ways to go about this work. I'm going to share with you how I would do it. You're welcome to disagree with me and you can do it another way. And I'm sure you're thinking right now, oh, thanks, Tom. Thanks for letting us disagree with you. Uh, or thanks, Tom. I disagree with you all the time. Uh, this is not going to be anything new. Uh, but all joking aside, um, the way I approach this is I often emphasize that if you try to authentically cover and assess your standards one at a time, you're never going to do it. You're going to run out of time. There's often too many of them. Not to mention the fact that that whole approach would be mind numbing for almost everyone involved especially if you're starting to quote the decimal places. We're doing 0.4 today because yesterday we did 0.3. Now, most of the grade level teams I was working with last week were working on standards surrounding summarizing text when either reading literature or informational text, right? Theme versus main idea. Uh, but essentially, it was about summarization. We have to keep the big picture in mind and we have to keep the big ideas in mind. And I'm going to use the common core as the base for this conversation. So if you're in a non-common core state, or you work in another country where Common Core is not a thing, you can still follow the principles of what I'm going to outline. So when it comes to summarizing text, we're not necessarily teaching them to find main idea or theme and summarize, not necessarily. I mean, we are, but the bigger picture is this. We're teaching them to read informational texts. And the way we do that is by teaching our students to understand how to utilize key ideas and details craft and structure, and the integration of knowledge and ideas. Those, of course, are the subheadings in the ELA standards in Common Core, right? Why does that matter? Because those subheadings are, are going to cluster standards together. There will be several or a few standards inside each of those clusters. That's what we really do to support learners, right? So here's an example of what we were working on last week, and I'll kind of give you an idea. And this falls within the idea of key ideas and details. So one, for example, a fourth grade team was working on what's called RI 4.2, okay? So that standard is determine the main idea of a text and explain how it's supported by key details and then semicolon summarize the text, okay? So that was their priority standard. But in the cluster of key ideas and details is 4.1, which says, Refer to details and examples in a text when explaining what the text says explicitly and when drawing inferences from the text. And 4.3 says, explain events, procedures, ideas, or concepts in a historical, scientific, or technical text, including what happened and why, based on specific information in the text. Now, I know this is sounding a little technical, but I think this is really important to go through from an assessment perspective. So essentially, 4.1 and 4.3 are built into 4.2. 
from this teacher's from the the teacher's perspective because they've prioritized 4.2. So 4.2 summarizing text determining main idea becomes my assessment focal point in terms of the gradations of quality in my rubric. So you build your criteria for the summary, which can include elements of the supporting standards 4.1 and 4.3, or you could build a rubric for key ideas and details. But I would not try to create a separate rubric for every single standard. I'm not going to have a rubric for 4.1, a rubric for 4.3. They are going to be part of the learning progression leading to our focus on 4.2. Now, you might decide that 4.3, explaining events and procedures and ideas, is your focal point, and that's fine. You could do that too, right? But let's go back to the standard, okay? So 4.2, determine the main idea of a text and explain how it is supported by key details, semicolon, summarize the text. So again, semicolon. What is a semicolon? Two independent clauses that are closely related in thought. So it really becomes, the standard becomes, determine the main idea so that you can summarize the text. So essentially as a fourth grade team, we were focusing on summarization. That was basically our focal point. So for me, there is a real practical in terms of time and theoretical, you know, not seeing the standards as separate silos. There's real reasons to do this, right? Prioritize the standard of emphasis and use the other standards within the cluster, the key ideas and details, as supporting standards, okay? So... To me, it's looking at them more in totality and saying, what is our assessment emphasis? And the other two then become the supporting standards. Now, here's the second key point I want to emphasize with this. The standard 4.2, okay, the idea of determining main idea and explaining how it's supported by details, summarizing the text, makes no mention of the format of the assessment. Now, yes, the method is probably determined. In this case, you're going to use a constructed response, likely, uh, because of the nature of the standard. But it does not say it has to be in written form. But let's just, for argument's sake, say the demonstration is in writing. There's a seamlessness with which you can include writing standards in this experience. The writing standards may or may not necessarily be the standard of emphasis, definitely could be, but if they write, it's not like you can unread what they wrote. So naturally, you could take the writing standard, which again for teachers, W4.2, write informative or explanatory text to examine a topic or convey ideas and information clearly. And underneath that standard are a number of substandards, right? Introducing a topic, uh, developing the topic, linking ideas with categories, using precise language, providing a concluding statement. Uh, or a section related to the information. So that writing standard is something that you would cover, even if it's tangentially, even if it's not the focal point, it's still there and you're not going to be able to unread what they wrote. Now, so, so the basic premise here is that if I'm reading informational text, I most certainly could be writing an informative text, right? That's why it's somewhat counterproductive uh, to students to talk to them about the fact that we're doing RL today or RI today because then they start to look at things as silos. They'll say things like, hey, I thought this is a reading standard, not a writing standard. Why are we writing? This is reading. And yes, they should know what they're learning, of course, but let's not be too clinical about this, about how you say it to them, right? Not No, no abbreviations, no decimal, <laughs> decimal points or anything like that. You're going to bring in these experiences and you're going to synthesize them. So if you're assessing writing as well, then of course, as if, like if you're going to assess writing, you're going to go over the criteria with them, right? If it's, if, even if it's not the point of emphasis, then at least you can remind the students, hey, now remember, when we talked about informational writing, it's really important to use precise language, right? So you can, you can, come, back to, you can come back to the ideas that you've been trying to emphasize. And again, as I keep saying, you can't unread what they wrote. And therefore, that's another piece of evidence that you've laid eyes on. And you can judge in terms of add to the mix when you judge their overall achievement with writing. 
And of course, if you only have four levels to choose from or three levels or five levels, the choices become pretty clear. Reminder that the fundamental is fewer, more clearly distinguishable levels. Now, on the other, and I know this is getting a little technical, but I think sometimes we have to do some heavy lifting when it comes to assessment. It's not always that easy or that simple. Okay, so on the other hand, let's say the assessment was going to be an oral response, no writing, right? We do a ton of written response in school. So let's just say for argument's sake that this summarization is going to be done orally, either in real time or through a recording, okay? So now you can tangentially or directly incorporate speaking and listening standards. For example, speaking and listening 4.2 is a standard that says report on a topic or text tell a story or recount an experience in an organized manner using appropriate facts and relevance, uh, relevant descriptive details to support the main idea or themes, speak clearly at an understandable pace, right? Again, even if it's not the standard of emphasis, it can still be incorporated into the demonstration because they are, after all, going to be speaking. You cannot unhear the way that they orally presented their summary. Now, if they're doing this collectively as a group, you've got 4.1, SL 4.1, engage effectively in a range of collaborative discussions, one-on-one, -on -one, in groups, teacher-led, with diverse partners on grade four topics and texts, build on others' ideas, and expressing their own ideas clearly. You see, the thing I'm trying to emphasize is we need to keep looking for the overlap amongst the standards, because so many of our standards overlap and there's this constant overlapping of all the work we do. Now, I'm talking about authentically finding the overlap. I'm not talking about just hinting at it or trying to check a box and, and just pretend like we've covered 50 standards. That's not really what I'm, I'm not talking about cutting corners here, but I am saying you can look for some efficiency and some effectiveness. And I think there's a difference between cutting corners and finding that efficiency. So the standards in their presentation are our issue, right? The listings, the decimal places, RL, RI, W, et cetera, SL, right? It's all of that. Yes, the students need to know what they're learning. But for the students, our job is to create engaging learning experiences for them. So as you fold other standards into the mix, you're going to see how there is this overlap. I mean, every time you have them right, it's writing. Even when you're formally assessing a reading standard, there's still a demonstration in writing. So that's why I like to say, synthesize the standards rather than look at them as a checklist. If you treat them as a checklist, you will never get through all of them. Well, I mean, look, you'd get through them, but no one would learn anything, right? I mean, you could cover your standards in less time than you've been allotted. You could race through them, but no one would learn anything, right? Do your standards one at a time. You have no chance of authentically getting through them. Synthesize them in the most authentic ways, and you'll have plenty of evidence upon which to determine your student's proficiency with those standards, whether or not those standards were the focal point of any acute assessment moment. Okay, that's it for this week. Remember to follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. You can also email the podcast, tomshimmerpod at gmail.com, if you've got questions for Assessment Corner or any suggestions or feedback for me about the podcast. And a reminder to check the show notes for the links for the upcoming professional learning events this fall. Next week, my guest will be Connie Hamilton. Connie is an author and a speaker. We're going to focus on her book, Hacking Questions, 11 Answers That Create a Culture of Inquiry in Your Classroom. So that'll be the focus of our conversation next week. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, especially on Apple Podcasts. But of course, a rating and review on any platform will help grow the podcast reach. And if you like what you hear, please keep spreading the word about the podcast to your friends, your colleagues, or on social media. I would really appreciate that. Have a great week, everyone.